Well, we greet you all this evening in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust that our gathering this evening will be to the glory of God, where we can learn more about the Lord Jesus Christ and be molded into the image of His dear Son. And I, I've thought about those two things. Learning more about the Lord Jesus or being mold in, molded into His image. You know, do you know which one of those is the most challenging? The hardest to do? To learn more of Him or to be molded into His image. Which would you say was the more difficult? Being molded into His image. It is. It is because that requires a, a cutting away. That requires a complete surrender. That requires sacrifice. The yielding of ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And so I trust that God can have His way. That way this evening as we gather in His name. We gather tonight, I trust, in all humility before a holy God because God has made a choice. And the scriptures are very clear that God has chosen to dwell with the humble. And that is where God has liberty to move. I was so impressed this morning in that O of world where, that stands for out of nothing. And the reminder to us that until we come to that place, there's really not a whole lot that God can do with us. So may we be there this evening. There is a scripture that I would like to refer to here in the onset about God the Father and Jesus Christ His Son. The scriptures say of them that in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I want you to notice that treasures there is plural. Many of them, all of them, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It, it just sounds like a field that is clear full of treasures, too many to count. And every one of them is of immeasurable value. Think of a field that way, that full of treasures. And Jesus taught us that the kingdom of heaven is like that field. Full of hidden treasure. When a man found that out, he sold everything. He shut everything down. And he went and bought that field so that he could get the treasure. He didn't buy it to get the field. He bought it to get the treasure. And, and I want us to just think for a minute this evening of a treasure. Of how excited we would be. How excited anyone gets at the thought of finding treasure. But I want to just hold before us this evening that God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in them are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But I want you to notice this evening that they are hid. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But... It's very clear from the scriptures that God never intended that they would be hid in such a way that we would never find them. On the contrary, God wants us to find them. He wants us to experience them. He wants us to have them and He will help us to find them. I believe that is why the scriptures encourage us to ask. And the promise is that you will receive. And seek, and you will find He will help us 
Find and experience those treasures. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. So I have a message that I would like to share this evening. And I would like for the title of this message to be that the violent take it by force. The violent take it by force. Let's have a word of prayer again. That as we proceed, Father, these treasures would just draw us to be rooted and grounded deeper in the Word of God. That we would seek, that we would ask, that we would knock, and, O oh God, that we would find. And that it would be opened unto us. We pray that you would open unto us the Scriptures this evening. Father, we know that we're not worthy. We marvel at the invitation to come, and not only come, but to come boldly unto the throne of grace, that ye may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, we, we are here tonight in a time of need, but we desire, Father, to bring glory to your name, that you would receive the reward of your suffering this evening. May you have your way. May the glory be thine. Give us attentive hearts. Give us a wise spirit, Father, that we would connect tonight with the Holy Spirit of God within us and that we would have a deeper understanding of your will for each of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so the violent take it by force. <clears throat> That scripture is a direct reference to the kingdom of God. We are interested in the kingdom of God this evening and going deeper in the things that God has provided for us. When it says that the violent take it, the it there refers to the kingdom of God. The violent take it by force. And for a more complete uh, view of that verse in Matthew 11, Jesus said... That from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. I would like to begin as we think about this little phrase by having a little word study. I want to look first at the word violent. The violent take it by force. You know, many times when we think of violent, we think of an angry man. Someone who's out of control. Someone who's doing damage. But that's not really the meaning of this word here. As you study this word, you find that this, this word violent means energetic, high energy, focused, purpose of heart, a single eye, full of purpose, uh, pressing in hard, going for something with a goal. And, and I believe that the picture here is of a man whose house is on fire and, and the house is burning. And this man is on the outside, and the door is locked, but this man's son is on the inside of his house. Now this man is not a man with a reputation of going around breaking down doors, but this man has purpose of heart. I mean, his house is on fire, and his son is inside, and that door is locked, but I tell you tonight, that door is coming down, because that man is high energy at that point, and he has purpose of heart, and he wants to get into the house that he could save his son. The violent take it by force. I want to look at the word force for just a minute. 
Force we think of as being even somewhat of a military word, uh, like the Air Force. And, and really that's a fairly accurate picture here, but the rendering of this word that we get from the Greek is more of diligence. Not quitting, not giving up, putting forth tremendous effort to make something happen, not turning back. Nothing can turn this energy around. And so in rewording this phrase of the violent take it by force, it means the energetic take the kingdom of God by diligence. And so I believe what Jesus is teaching here is, and these are, these are words of Jesus, they're written in red, but I believe Jesus is talking about the diligence level that we have to get into the kingdom of God to go deeper in the things that God has promised to those who love Him and who follow Him. It's teaching about our diligence level of how a child of God seeks after those treasures that are hid in the field. And I'll just tell you this message this evening, it stands in conflict with easy believism. I mean, we know what easy believism. Basically, it's when everything that has got to be done is already done and, and all you got to do is say yes. But, but I believe that Jesus had a burden on His heart to teach us that the kingdom of God, there's some pressing in that needs to be done for us to go deeper. Uh, deeper. I want to take a look also at the first part of this verse that says that the kingdom of God suffereth violence. That word violence there is the same word as the violent take it by force. It's high energy. It's pressing in. And I want to think about the kingdom of God suffereth violence. That word suffer, when we think of suffer, we think of persecution. And that's very accurate for what that word means. But it doesn't just mean persecution. It means to allow persecution. We, we suffer persecution. We allow it to come. And, and Jesus used this word, I think it was Jesus at John the Baptist when he said, uh, suffer it to be so now. Allow it to be so now. Allow this to happen. Suffer it to be so now. Jesus also said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. Suffer the little children to come unto me. It doesn't mean persecute them. It means allow them to come. And not just allow them to come, encourage them to come. And so the kingdom of, of God suffereth violence. The kingdom of God allows this diligence to press in. It not only allows it, it encourages it among God's people. And I believe that there is higher ground for all of us in the kingdom of God. And it doesn't just happen through easy believism. It happens when we press in to the kingdom of God. I think that's what Paul was talking about when he said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There was a pressing in. You know, he said, I hadn't attained yet. There's more that God has promised. And He's promised it to each one of us. I believe that He has. Many times we let our weaknesses hold us back. And, and we know that they're there. We acknowledge them. They're, they're a grief sometimes to our very spirit. But we confess those things and God has higher ground for each one of us. I believe that He does. For even a more complete picture of that passage of Scripture, you might compare it. It's 
quoted again in Luke chapter 16. And Jesus, quoting again, says it this way. That the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. That word presseth, that's the same word as violent. It's just a different translation right there. But it's high energy. It's pressing in. And the kingdom of God encourages this very thing. And I believe we see examples of that in the scripture. The Syrophoenician woman, I think about her. I tell you, this woman was, you know, a quote, unquote, a violent woman. And I say that as a compliment. I say that as a blessing that this is what God wants to see in the hearts of His people. I mean, she pressed in. She wouldn't take no for an answer. She just kept asking. Even when it seemed that the Lord had rejected her. And she kind of finally came to the place where she begged for just a crumb. And, and we can stand back and we say, well, you know, really all she got was a crumb. But I say tonight, what a crumb she got. I mean, I want one too. Amen. It's higher ground. It is. <clears throat> but I want to tell us tonight, there is more than a crumb available to us here this evening. The feast is spread, but the treasures are hid, and we need to press in to get it. We need to press into the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes I think we need to get a vision a revelation of God, who Christ is, who God is. I mean, we, we have it in our head. But many times, you know, that, that going from, what is it, Logos to, to Rhema. I mean, when that thing, all of a sudden, all the lights go on and we realize the God that we serve. We need a vision. We need a revelation of Him. And I believe that revelations come from the knowledge that we have. That's a beautiful foundation for a revelation. But when all the lights go on, brothers and sisters, youth here tonight, that's what we want. A revelation, I believe, is when we gain a understanding in the full scope you know, of, of what there is. We, we, have, we have knowledge tonight that there are hungry people in the world. We know that there are people who are starving tonight. But you know, if you were all of a sudden there and in their midst and you beheld that thing and you saw and experienced the situation, it would affect you much deeper than if you just had knowledge that there were people who were hungry. This is the way it is in the kingdom of God. We know many things, but what does it take? Many times I cry out to God, Oh God, open our eyes. Take away the veil. Let us see who you are. And I believe these treasures are hid, but they are available. I believe God will lead us there. Isn't that His will? I believe that it is. I think about the disciples. Cleopas, I believe, and some on the road to Emmaus. Isn't it amazing that the things that Jesus spoke to them of, I don't think Jesus told them anything that they didn't know, but what was their testimony? Did not our spirits burn within us when He opened unto us the Scriptures? That's our desire tonight, that God would open the Scriptures and you know all the lights would go on. It's a marvelous thing. I think about Thomas. Thomas was almost an unbeliever. When Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't going to believe. But what happened when Thomas put his finger 
in the nail prints in his hand and took his hand and thrust his hand into the side where the spear had gone. What happened? The Logos turned to Rhema. And what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. A man who wouldn't believe. And Jesus spoke some amazing words to Thomas right there. He said, Thomas, blessed art thou because thou hast seen and believed. But he said, blessed are they who have not seen yet believe. That's us tonight. That's what faith can do to us. I believe that it is. We haven't seen that. We haven't put our finger in the nail prints in His hand. We haven't thrust our hand into His side. We haven't physically seen Him. We haven't physically heard Him. But I tell you, by faith, Logos can turn to Rhema. Or is it Rhema? But it can happen for us tonight. I think about the apostles after the, after the resurrection. You know, they were confused. They, they didn't know what to do with all the experiences they'd had with the Lord Jesus. They, they, they knew all the teachings that he had given, but, but they were confused. And Peter, he kind of let out. and He says, well, I go fishing. And the others needed something to do. And they said, well, I go with thee. And they went fishing. But what happened when those fishermen, when their logos turned to Rima? What happened? It says they turned the world upside down. Fishermen. Because they got a vision of what was really going on. They got a vision of the power that came forth from that resurrection. Isn't that a marvelous thing? And so I have a burden tonight that we could turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And I I think that we need to experience that... The things of earth growing strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. We need to see Jesus. We need, we need a vision. I've heard people say, you know, I was so excited when I was born again. That was such a blessed time. When I first felt the burden of sin lifted. The load of sin was gone. The peace and the joy that I felt that now I was a child of grace But there's people like that who say, but it's hard to maintain that same fresh anointing that I had back then every day. Sometimes it grows dim. And I want to challenge us this evening if that's the case. Is that right? So the longer we walk with God, the more we learn of Him, the more we experience answered prayer, the more we study His Word, the harder it is to maintain a fresh anointing for God. God forbid. If that's where we are this evening, we do need a a vision. We do need a revelation. And I'm just going to tell you, God is willing to give it. I don't know anything that would change the motives of our heart if we could just get a vision of God. Not adding anything to the knowledge that we have. Just the veil taken off. I don't know anything that would rearrange our priorities more than that. And I want us to know that the revelation of God doesn't come out of easy believism. It comes out of pressing in. When the violent take it by force, there's higher ground. There's more for us in the kingdom of God. We have to believe that. Paul, who experienced so many things on this life, what did he say? I haven't attained yet. I press on. And that's the burden that I trust we can instill in each of you youth here tonight to go deeper 
with God. There is more. You can look at the Scriptures at men who got a vision of God. Men who added nothing to their knowledge. <laughs> just got a vision of God. And, and they were never the same again. And I'm not just talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about men of God. I think about old brother John out there in the Isle of Patmos. I mean, he was about as righteous as a man could get. Amen? I mean, Jesus said, uh, you know, the disciple that Jesus loved, he, was, he had walked with God. He had seen the miracles that Jesus did. His life was covered with the blood. He was sold out to God. He was sanctified. You know, he had been at the cross. He had taken care of Jesus' mother. He had seen the empty tomb. He was about as sanctified as a man could get. How could anything increase a man like that? How could anything increase his faith more? How could anything stir his spirit more than the things that he had experienced? But I tell you tonight, there was one day when this brother John out there in the Isle of Patmos got a vision of God. He heard a great voice behind him. And when he turned and looked, I'm just going to give it to you in John's own words. John said, and when I saw him, when I saw him, when the veil came off, I fell at his feet as dead. Didn't add anything to his knowledge. And notice, he didn't just gently ease himself down and show some reverence to the one he loved. All the strength of his life went out of him and he fell at his feet as dead. That's what a righteous man did. You know, I think about not only the righteous people when we see the Lord, but unbelievers, and I think it even says in Revelation, every eye shall see Him. I think it says the whole earth shall wail because of Him. And they're going to ask the rocks to fall upon them when they see who He is. May we have a prayer in our heart that God would take off the veil so that all the lights could come on. And we can understand what God has for us. That's what we need. But I'll tell you something else we need. I believe, I believe we need to get a vision of who we are without Him. There are men in the Bible who got that kind of vision too. Ezra was one of them. Have you ever read about the vision that Ezra got? Ezra got a vision of the sins of the people. There was just one day when all of a sudden Ezra saw sin the way God saw sin. And it just drove him to his knees. He sat down and it says he plucked every hair out of his head. Can you imagine that? And every hair out of his beard. Ezra. And he ripped his garment and tore his mantle all day long. It says he sat down astonished until the evening sacrifice. And when the evening sacrifice came, it says he fell upon his knees and spread out his hands before the living God and said, Oh God, I am ashamed and blush. And he prayed a prayer confessing the sins of his people. What a picture. Have you ever done that before God? Have you ever seen your sins that wretched before God? Has sin ever impressed you that way? You know, I don't think that you could ever do that and ever be the same again. It would change us. 
I don't think it's possible that that would happen and we would not be changed. It would change our motives. It would change our priorities. That's what a vision does. And it doesn't matter how righteous we are. <clears throat> if you get a vision like John got on the Isle of Patmos of Jesus Christ, to see Him as He is, to understand His righteousness, to understand His glory, I tell you the things of this world would have nothing to offer us. But the way it is, they tickle our ears. We think maybe there's nothing wrong with this thing. But we need to get a vision of God. <clears throat> Even if we're skeptical and uncommitted. I think about the children of Israel on Mount Carmel with Elijah. The contest there between uh, that Elijah there between God and the prophets of Baal. You know, Elijah asked them, how long will you halt between two opinions? But they answered him not a word. That's what the Bible says. They weren't talking. <clears throat> but when the fire of God fell, when the fire of God came down and burned up the altar and consumed the sacrifice and consumed the, the stones of the altar and licked up the water that was in the ditch, I mean, all of a sudden, these people who wouldn't talk, I mean, they were talking. Uh, they were talking. And they, yet they couldn't stop talking. You know what they said? They said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And they just kept saying it over and over. They couldn't stop. And I, tell you, I think that's quite a commitment for a skeptical and an uncommitted group of people. And the reason they were talking that way is because they had a vision. They had a revelation. And you can say the fire of God came down. But, but the Holy Spirit has come down. And He dwells within us. I think about that. It, it's just a marvelous thing. We're, we're led by the Spirit of God. Brothers and sisters, that's a marvelous thing. And you can say, well, yeah, that's a marvelous thing, but it's not like raising Jesus from the dead. But I want to challenge you. I, I, I ought to turn to that. We're going to have a reading of Scripture here. But let me just turn to this passage. I love this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8. It says... But if the Spirit of Him, that's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, but if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead, there it is, if that Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, oh, look, this is reality for a believer of God. We've got the knowledge, but is the reality there? That's the challenge that I believe God wants to challenge us with this evening. Have I experienced all that God has promised? Have I pressed in? Even when the answer seems to be no, keep knocking. I like what Brother Paul said today when you're reading in the Word of God and you're in the begets or the, the boring part, maybe that you might think, what's the solution? Keep reading. Keep knocking. God is faithful. He is. I believe that He is. <clears throat> when a vision comes, many times there's no knowledge added. Just the veil came off. That's what a vision is. It just shows you what has been there all the time. I love the story of the servant of Elisha when they were completely surrounded by the enemy. <clears throat> they couldn't see anything but the enemy. 
uh, the, the servant of, of Elisha was there. I think it was Gehazi. And he cried out to Elisha. And he just said, Alas, my master, how shall we do? What are we going to do now? We're surrounded by the enemy. And Elisha said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Gehazi said to Elisha, he said, What do you mean, Elisha? We're all alone. It's just us and the enemy. And right there it says that Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. I love that prayer. And the scriptures say that the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. I love that story because that's what a vision is. Nothing changed. It just showed us what was there all the time. It's there tonight. I know it is. Because God is faithful. Just the veil. It needs to come off. And you can say, but Brother Dale, the fire of God, it just doesn't fall anymore. Visions, fire of God, chariots of fire, horses of fire, miracles. That's Old Testament and Bible times. And it's not today. Have you ever heard that? And if that's God's will, my heart says amen. I want to bow to, to the Lord in that thing. But coming up with that theology, is that pressing in to the kingdom of God? Is that taking the kingdom by force? Is that keep knocking? No, it's not. I want to challenge us this evening. Where did you get that thinking? Is that what we've been told all of our life? And so that must be the way it is? Have we been observing Christianity in America, maybe? So we conclude that that's what it is. But I challenge you tonight, show me in Scripture where that's the will of God. Scripture teaches us that we need to pray. God is a prayer-answering God. We read about that in James 5. That's New Testament doctrine, if anything is. And what's the example that it uses? You know, pray. What's the encouragement? The encouragement is to look at Elijah. He says Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. And we can pray and God answers us too. I believe that. Elijah's God still lives today. Oh, blessed be his name. And when his children to him pray, he answers. Still the same. Yes, he controls the universe. All things obey his word. And when by faith we call on him, our humble prayer is heard. It is. The promises of God are for us today. We can't just put them back there in the Old Testament and Bible times. We have not pressed in. We haven't been high energy pressing into the kingdom of God for the things that God has promised. <clears throat> <clears throat> I want to challenge us this way. Is the problem that God is not willing to do it anymore? Or is the problem that we just don't want it bad enough? So I challenge us, how bad do you want it? The moving of God. Sometimes I feel like we're too much like the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. We don't want to hear from God that much. You know what the people told Moses? They said, Moses, you talk to God, but don't let God talk to us anymore. 
lest we die. In other words, give the vision to somebody else, but not me. In other words, I don't really want to hear from God. But is the problem that God's not willing to reveal himself or that we're afraid of him? How bad do we want it? I want to have a, a reading here, a passage of scripture tonight. I want to turn to Ephesians. Let's all turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to read this passage of scripture. I want to make a few comments about it. I don't want to just think that I'm some nut up here coming up with some big ideas beyond ourselves. Uh, we, we want the balance of the word of God. And sometimes... We get hung up on that balance thing. And whenever God's starting to get His way, we think it's a little off balance, and so we pull things back toward earth. But the challenge tonight, balance with God, is a great moving among His people. Amen. It is. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, I just asked Brother Joe if he would just stand up and read this passage of Scripture to us tonight like God would want us to hear it. Brother Joe, Ephesians 1. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith... That's verse 15. Yes. And love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Amen. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Amen. What a beautiful passage of Scripture. I want to look at this just a little bit. If you focus in here on verse 17, it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now this is in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you, and I want to stop right there, and I just want you to think about this for a minute. There is something that God wants to give you. He wants you to have it. And I believe in the context of this, it, this is actually Paul's prayer that God would give it to us. And so it's Paul that wants us to have it, and it's God that must give it, and I believe it is God also that wants us to have it. Paul is expressing the very heart of God here. And the thing that he wants us to have is the, that he may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, of Jesus Christ. He wants us to have the spirit of revelation. But look how this revelation comes. 
It comes in the knowledge of Him. We're admonished all through Scripture to learn more of Him. These things come through the knowledge of God, but that God would take that knowledge and give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That just sounds to me like the servant of Elisha. Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. It sounds like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Did not our hearts burn within us when he opened unto us the scriptures? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward. I love that word, usward. <laughs> that means God's heart is toward us. But it says, the, according to the working of His mighty power. Think about that. You know what that says to me? According to the working of His mighty power. What that says to me is His mighty power works. It's a formula that works. It's not a lost cause. It's a missed cause that many people miss, but it works. Have we not read the scripture in, I believe it's another one of Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, just a couple of chapters later on, when, when Paul said, He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. But he wants us to get a revelation of the full scope of this thing. That was Paul's prayer for this cause. He said, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's for all people, all lands, all languages, the world over. Por esta casa, doblo mis rodillas ante el Padre de nuestro Señor. I mean, this cry goes up from every part of the earth. It's a prayer that God would reveal to His people that they would comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height that we would get a vision of this thing, of the love of Christ that passeth knowledge. Isn't that a marvelous thing? God wants us to have that. It comes through the knowledge of Him. It comes through meditation. It comes through the encouragement that we had today to read God's Word. To meditate upon God's Word. Prayer for enlightenment. Someone who's always in the Word. Always at the throne. I think about Cornelius. You know, he was doing good things. And he had prayers that were ascending to heaven. And what does it say it happened? I think it says there was a memorial came up before the Lord. Isn't that a marvelous thing? Don't you want one of those there? Do you think God is going to ignore a memorial at His throne? Prayer after prayer, knocking, seeking, pressing in, going deeper. God is faithful. God will answer those prayers, I believe. I want to challenge us tonight. How bad do we want all of that? How bad do we want the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Him? <clears throat> I would like to challenge us tonight with the Scripture. We're thinking about the kingdom of God. And there's a Scripture in Corinthians that says this. That the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. 
good meditation. The kingdom of God is not in word. And I, I think that means not word only. I, I mean, you know, we do speak. Paul said, we also believe, therefore we speak. But the kingdom of God doesn't stop there. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And the apostle Paul said, I will know the power of them that speak. That's what he said. And I, he said, I'm going to find out what's behind those words. And, and really, that's all that God is interested in, is the power that is behind those words. Uh, Brother John D. Martin explained to us a while back, he did some studying on the, the, those who built cannons for war back in the days when cannons were used. And, and they, he found out the statistics is that the cannon had to be 50 times bigger than the cannonball in order for it to shoot it straight. Wouldn't that be a disastrous thing to shoot a cannon when the cannon is no bigger than the cannonball? I mean, nobody knows what would happen. And, and the comparison there is that the cannonball is like words. I mean, we need to be rooted and grounded. We need to be 50 times bigger than the words that we speak. We need to be many times bigger than the things that we say. We need to be rooted and grounded deep. In the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And I want to apply that this evening to our desire to get a vision and a revelation. We can't just say, I want a, I want a vision. We have to show God by our life that we are pressing in hard. We're, we're as the violent who want this thing. There needs to be a diligence on our part. And God is no respecter of persons. It, it's who presses in. You don't get it because you're a father. You don't get it because you have a position. You don't get it because you're a pastor. You get it because you're pressing in. We can do that. <clears throat> Did you know that there is a way to measure how much you want something? There's a very accurate way to measure how bad you want something, how hard you are pressing in. And it's almost irrefutable. There's really no way to argue. There's nothing you can say. How bad you want something is always measured by what you're willing to do to get it. What are we doing? Are we just becoming, learning to be content with how life is? That doesn't sound like the Apostle Paul. I press toward the mark. How bad we want something is always measured by what we're willing to do to get it. <clears throat> and I want to encourage us tonight, there is something that we can do. There is more available for us. I believe there are prayers that God would love to answer that we have not prayed. There are prayers that God would love to answer that we quit praying because we just decided that it wasn't God's will. There is higher ground and we may not be experiencing it because spiritually speaking, we're just a little too comfortable to rise up in the spirit of revelation and take hold of the promises of God in faith believing and do something about it. There is something that we can do. 
I believe the word of God tonight when it says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect before him. Think about it. The eyes of the Lord, they're just going up and down these aisles. They're looking for someone. Is God not faithful to back up that scripture? Is that just Old Testament times? No. That's God's heart for his people today. So I just want to mention a few things that we can do. We can pray earnestly. We can pray fervently. I, I love, I, there's some words I love in the scripture. Fervent is one of them. I believe in Romans chapter 8, maybe where it talks about fervent in spirit. Be fervent in spirit. I just want to tell you what that word means. You look that up in the strong, I'm going to tell you what it says. It says fervent means hot. It means hot. What it says is this. It says if you're talking about liquid, then it means boiling. If you're talking about metal, then it means red. That's what Strong says. Fervent in spirit. There is something that we can do. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And what does much mean? What does availeth mean? It means God is moving on the behalf of those. Uh, the, uh, the prayer of a righteous man. And I don't believe that God is going to write such a scripture in his word for his people, a promise from God, and then disregard it. <laughs> Think about it. The promises of prayer are uh, pretty eye-opening. There are qualifications, but they're not, they're not beyond our grasp. God has not required something of us that we cannot attain. He's just calling us to higher ground. It's something that we can do. <clears throat> we can pray. I want to turn to John chapter 14. Let's just look at a couple of uh, verses here. Pray and we can obey the scriptures. I tell you, I just have a burden in my heart. There are two kingdoms. We're interested in the kingdom of God tonight. But I tell you, the, the kingdom of this world is very, very real. And, and they have no fellowship. The one with the other. They have none. These two kingdoms are at war with each other. And each of these kingdoms have a king. And they have an army. And they have things to offer. And many times the people of God reach from out of the kingdom of God where there's fullness of joy and depth of bliss to, to, to literally try to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. It's amazing that we would do that. It's a reasonable thing to separate ourselves from this untoward generation and look to the things that God has offered us. I, it's just a burden upon my heart. We want to be faithful. John 14, verse, verse 21. I just want to read it here. He that hath my commandments and is faithful in them. That's the prayer of a righteous man who hath my commandments and keepeth them. He it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. That manifest, it just means made known. It's a revelation. God reveals himself to an obedient heart that loves and serves him. 
Judas saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Look! That's the Father and the Son. That's in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are going to come and manifest themselves to their people. That's to us. They're not going to keep all those treasures of of wisdom and knowledge hidden from us. When we are obedient, when they love us, the Father will love Him, I will love Him, and we will come and make our abode with Him. It's a beautiful picture. And you combine that with prayer. Just back up into verse 13, still in John chapter 14, in verse 13. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then again, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I just want to challenge us this evening that if answered prayer and keeping the commandments of God don't go together, then why are they so together in Scripture? They go together. It's the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. We can pray. We can just, we can be obedient to the commandments of God with our heart, with the mind of a servant. And we can fast. I think we're going to have some teaching on that coming up this week. But you know, youth, we can pray pretty comfortable, can't we? We can pray on a soft carpet. We can pray on a full stomach after we've had a good meal. We can pray in an air-conditioned room. But when you fast, you begin to make a sacrifice. And when you begin to make a sacrifice... You begin to make an expression to God of how bad you want this thing. And the longer you fast, the greater the sacrifice and the more clear the expression to God how bad you want this thing. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but it's really hard to fast when you're hungry. And the reason is, is because you are focusing on food. That's the reason. Because the body wants to eat. But when you're, And when your desire for food is greater than for the thing that you're fasting for, you're not going to fast very long. But when you change that focus, and here again, we're just examining our heart. How bad do you want this thing? Get your focus off food and get it onto the thing that you're fasting for. When your focus is on what you're fasting for, you can fast a good while. And the body does get hungry. We acknowledge that. But when the burden gets great enough, when you want it bad enough, you can deal with the hunger. I want to think about Jesus for just a moment. You know, it says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast. So he was led by the Spirit here. Have we ever followed in the steps of Jesus that way? Jesus knew that he was going into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
The Spirit of God led him there. And when Jesus knew that temptation was coming, he wanted power over that temptation. He wanted to be faithful. He wanted it bad. He didn't want to fall down here. He knew that temptation was coming. <clears throat> and he wanted power over temptation so bad that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. What an expression to God his Father how bad he wanted to be faithful. Think about it. <clears throat> And when the thing you want is 40 days and 40 nights of prayer bigger than your desire for food, we can fast. And I want to challenge us. I've heard it said that Jesus could fast because he was God. And because he was God, he wasn't as hungry as we are. I don't believe that. He was just as hungry as you would be if you fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. The, the, the difference is not that he wasn't as hungry. The difference is how bad he wanted victory when temptation came. I tell you, when God looks down, the eyes of the Lord are looking down, running to and fro throughout the whole earth. And when he sees this kind of diligence, he will move in behalf of that heart. There's more that we can do. We can intercede to God for someone else. Have you ever done that? You know, I encourage, if you want an interesting study of the Bible, you study <clears throat> intercession. God loves an intercessor. I, there, there's just nothing that really moves the heart of God like an intercessor. That's what Jesus Christ is for us. He is at the right hand of God interceding for us on our behalf. <clears throat> we can weep with those that weep. We can hear their heart. We can share their burden. We can stand in the gap for them when their strength is low. And when you do that, I believe that gets God's attention. God loves an intercessor. It's a clear message. And God takes notice and and it's just interesting to me, when Jesus came to earth, he came on our behalf. He didn't come for himself. But when he came interceding for us, the scriptures tell us that God poured out his spirit without measure upon him. More than he poured it out on the ones that Jesus was interceding for. And the point I'm trying to make is that when you become an intercessor, God pours grace upon you. And yes, we pray for others. It's, it's a sincere burden. But you just can't pray for someone else and not bring the grace of God upon your own life. I've heard it said you can't row someone across the river and not go there yourself. I mean, it just brings God's favor upon us. That's one thing that you can do. And we can rejoice in that. <clears throat> More than we can do, we can forgive others completely. So many prayers are hindered because of this many times. Many times the, the spiritual fog just sets in when we don't forgive our brother or our sister. And it definitely hinders us getting a vision of God. It hinders the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Him. When we hold something against Someone else, you just can't see through all that bitterness to get a clear vision of God. 
But when you let that thing go, when you forgive completely, and you know, God, we need to forgive like God forgave. Wouldn't that be the scriptures? I believe it is. How did God forgive? You know, many times we say, okay, I forgive you, but that's not how God forgave. When God forgave, he desired after the forgiveness to build a sweet relationship. Isn't that how God forgave us? He didn't just forgive us and then, uh, okay, that's enough. Uh, we're kind of that way with forgiveness sometimes, but we can forgive like he forgave. We can forgive and desire to build a sweet relationship with that person. That's challenging. I'm not going to tell you that I've lived up to that every area. That's very convicting to me. But it's scriptural, and it brings the favor of God. It just opens the door to answered prayer and for God to bring a revelation. I think about suffering wrongfully. We can do that. I, I rejoice in those scriptures. They give me strength. There's times much suffering that I've done or experienced in my life is not really uh, suffering wrongfully. Much suffering has been because of my own mistakes. But there are times when, when it seems like this might be the suffering uh, wrongfully. I don't believe that I deserve this. But boy, I tell you, when I realize this is the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's the context when the scriptures tells us that we are called to follow in his steps. It's, it's that we would suffer wrongfully. You can do that. <clears throat> and it gets God's attention. And when you do that, when you pray, when you obey the commandments, when you fast, when you intercede for others when you suffer wrongfully do you see what's happening here brothers and sisters when we do those things we're just getting more and more like jesus all the time and that's what we want and that's what he wants when we pray and fast and forgive and suffer wrongfully we're just getting more and more like jesus all the time <clears throat> i like the song that says by looking to jesus like him thou shalt be how bad do we want that? How hard are we pressing in? I want to think about some examples in Scripture as we begin to bring this to a close tonight. But how bad did Jacob want a blessing from the angel, from the Lord? Jacob wanted a blessing from the angel so bad that he wouldn't let him go. He wrestled all night long. That, that's really a marvelous story when you think about it. He wouldn't let go. And it started to get light. And what did the angel say? What did the Lord say? He said, let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob would not let him go until he got a blessing. He was pressing in. It wasn't easy believism. It was the violent take it by force. I tell you, if there's ever a picture from Scripture that illustrates the violent take it by force, here we have it with Jacob wrestling with the angel and it wouldn't let him go even when the day breaketh until you bless me. And because of that, the angel said, and, and I think that's the Lord, but this is what he said to Jacob. He said an amazing thing. He said to Jacob, as a prince, thou hast power with God and man and hast prevailed. What? Wait a minute. That's a marvelous statement. Have you wrestled with God that way? And I don't think, I don't think this means, Jacob, you wrestled with God and you won. I don't think that's the meaning here. 
I, I think the meaning here is you were pressing in, Jacob, and your prayer got through. Have we wrestled with God that way? Where is our diligence level? I'm trying to stir in us tonight a deeper commitment that we would wrestle with God, even for our own sanctified desires. That's the mighty power of God in our lives, isn't it? That's casting all of our care upon Him, for He careth for us. That's the mighty power of God to usward who believe. I think about Hannah. How bad did Hannah want a baby? She wanted it so bad, she was in bitterness of soul, the Bible says. And I just tell you tonight, bitterness of soul doesn't just go away. It just stays there. It comes before God at the throne and doesn't leave. It just moans and groans and pleads with God. The priest thought she was drunk. Hannah, pressing in to the kingdom. And God heard her cry. And I always rejoice. We don't have time to read it now, but I love to read it. In Psalm 113, what does David say of Hannah? You ought to read it. He just calls her a joyful mother of children. Her prayer got through. You know what? I know that each of you, each of you here, you have prayers. You have maybe even private desires that you're not real quick to share with others. I want to encourage you, bring those to God this way. With bitterness of soul, pressing in. God is a faithful God. I'm talking about sanctified desires here. <clears throat> We know that sometimes the answer is no. We know that. And praise God, we see that in scriptures. Moses wanted to enter the promised land, right? Bad. But God said, speak to me no more of this matter. Paul wanted his thorn in the flesh removed. Bad. And God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And not just Moses and not just Paul, Jesus himself said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We don't ever want to get away from that. But many times we think what is a no answer is just lack of diligence on our part to keep knocking, to keep pressing in. I think about the way... <clears throat> Ruth clave to Naomi. You know, Naomi said to Ruth and she said to Orpah, just go back. God has dealt bitterly with me. Just go back. You've been gracious. I love you, but just go back. And you know, Orpah went back. But she told Ruth to go back also. But I want you to think about Ruth for just a moment here. Ruth, Ruth was a heathen, Moabite, Gentile, Woman, no place in the chosen seed of Israel. But that woman became the lineage of David, the grandmother of David, the great-grandmother many times, many greats there, of Jesus Christ himself. Ruth, a heathen, Moabite, Gentile woman. That's a marvelous thing. I tell you tonight, God is no respecter of persons. It's who presses in. It's how bad they want it. 
Ruth claimed to Naomi, she really claimed to God, really. That's what she said. Thy God shall be my God. And she would not let go. <clears throat> she got the place that many Jewish women would have loved to have had. But I just want to tell you what the difference is between Ruth and the, the Jewish women who wanted that honor. You know what the difference was? It was how bad they wanted it. That's the difference. That's the difference for us tonight who experience the moving of God in our behalf and those who feel like God doesn't work for us. How bad do we want it? I want to close with John chapter 20. Just a few thoughts here in closing. John chapter 20, I want to consider Mary Magdalene. Just kind of an interesting, interesting sister here in the kingdom of God. How bad she wanted God. This woman has always intrigued me. She was a wretched woman. She had seven devils. I've tried to picture that. What, what a mess. Well, I mean, her hair must have been astray. Her countenance must have been dark. Seven devils. She was a messed up woman. But God completely changed her life. And the Bible says that after Jesus was resurrected, that he appeared first unto Mary. That's a marvelous thing. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he appeared first to Mary. To me, that's quite an honor. When you consider the list of all the apostles that he could have chosen to appear to first, but no, it was Mary. Why did Jesus appear to Mary before his disciples and everyone else? Could it be because Mary wanted him more than anyone else? Peter and John ran to the tomb. They ran there. They looked in. And they believed. But when they saw the tomb was empty, and it looked like Jesus was not there, I want to look what happened in verse 10. When they saw that he wasn't there, in verse 10, Peter and John and the disciples, it says, Then the disciples went away. Again, unto their own home. Well, he's not here. Well, I've said my prayers, I've checked it out, and he's not here, so I'm going home. And I'm, I'm being a little hard on the, the, the disciples here, but I'm trying to make a point. I want to keep reading here. In verse 11 and verse 12, look here. The disciples went home, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Isn't this a marvelous thing? Now Mary's seeing angels. Mary's getting a vision. That's what we want tonight. Mary had perseverance because she wanted him so bad she wasn't about to go. She stayed and now she's getting a vision. She's seeing angels. <clears throat> the disciples could have stayed. They could have seen this vision. It, it was just a decision. And they chose to go home. But Mary is seeing angels because she wants her Lord so bad. And that's what she says here if we keep reading in verse 13. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him, and I want him. You could just add that in there. That's Mary's heart. And when she had said, thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? What, what seekest thou? 
She supposing him to be the gardener saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. I want to just think for a minute. Mary wanted Jesus no matter what it meant to her. You know, many times we want Jesus if he will bless us. If he will answer our prayers and move in our behalf and bring perfume and bless us, so to speak. But not Mary. I mean, Mary, you know, he's been in the grave three days. By now he stinketh. None of that in Mary's heart. She wanted Jesus no matter what. She wanted him bad. Do we want him that bad? Many times it's just a choice that we make. Many professing Christians choose what the kingdom of this world has to offer instead of focusing with a single eye and purpose of heart how bad we want the Lord Jesus. They take the things that this world has to offer instead of pressing in to the kingdom of God. And Mary was confused. She was weeping, but she wanted him so bad. And Jesus came and he said to her, Mary. And I I just want to encourage you to put your own name there. Why did Jesus appear first to Mary? I've asked myself this. Did it have to be a woman? I want to tell you tonight, it doesn't have anything to do with being a woman. It has everything to do with how bad you want him. It doesn't have anything to do with if you're a pastor. It doesn't have anything to do if you have great talent. It has everything to do with how bad you want him. God moves in behalf of that kind of single eye and focused heart. Do we have it? What we read about there in John 20, that is half of Mary's diligence. I just want to look at one verse. She stayed and would not let go. But I want to look again at John chapter 20, and I want you to look at verse 1. It says here in verse 1, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene, early, when it was yet dark, until the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter and the other disciples, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them. And so here's Mary. She came to the sepulcher early, while it was still dark, while the disciples were still sleeping. It was Mary that ran back and told the others. She was there before the others got there. She was there when the others went home. What we say to God is one thing, but the kingdom of God is not in word. It's in power. It's by what we manifest from our life that tells God how serious we are. God is willing to move, but He wants to see diligence on our part. I think about this woman, this Mary Magdalene, as wretched of a woman the world has ever seen. Hopeless and full of evil, sinful and dark as night, possessed with seven devils and ruined, 
What a sight. I try to paint a picture of this woman in my mind. This wretched, sinful woman in Mark 16, verse 9. But then she met the Savior somewhere, somehow, someplace. And the Lord reached out and touched her. A miracle of grace and healing, more than healing, in her body, heart, and soul. By the kind touch of Jesus was made completely whole. I think about this woman. I try to grasp in full the depth of transformation that took place within her soul. We don't know how it happened. The Bible doesn't say, but the change that came to Mary came and never went away. And that poem keeps going. But I just want to encourage us tonight. Mary has an example of diligence. Of how bad she wanted the Lord. And God honored her. I think the Bible says of her that wherever the gospel is preached in this whole earth, this thing which she hath done shall be told for a memorial of her. And I just want to tell you how the Bible describes what she did. How Jesus described what she did. All Jesus said is she hath done what she could. There's more that we can do. Have we done what we could? I think one of the most convicting things that could happen to me, and I say this in closing, is to stand before God someday. And in that day, God himself would show me what he wanted to do, what he was willing to do with my life if I had wanted him to bad enough. If I had done what I could. If he would just show me a vision and say, Dale, this is what I would have done for your family. If you had come to the throne when it was still dark, if you had stayed when the others went home, these are the souls that I would have saved in your church if you would have forgiven your brother as Christ forgave you. These are the prayers I would have answered for you if you had obeyed my commandments even when you didn't understand. This is the vision that I would have given you if you had stayed when the others had all gone home. God is willing. If we do what we can. And we want Him so bad that nothing this world has to offer has any intrigue to us at all. May we be faithful. We want to be an encouragement in the kingdom of God. Let's not reach over into that other kingdom. Let's look to God for all that He wants to do for us. He's faithful. May God have His way.